Hello and welcome to Invisible Heat. I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. And our story today takes us to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada in May of 2003. A woman lays across a motel bed, struggling to suck air into her lungs. She wears nothing but an expression of pain as she gasps for breath. The violent outburst had been sudden and unexpected, leaving the woman shocked and terrified. She now lays in pain, her esophagus broken, the man looming above her. He comes at her again, his hands closing around her neck. She attempts to fight back, but it's too late. Within seconds, the woman stops breathing and her body stills. Days later, her body is found inside a shopping cart near the motel. This is Invisible Hate. Welcome back to Invisible Hate, a weekly true crime podcast in which Asad and I attempt to uncover the ugly truths behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. Yeah, that's right. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. Our goal is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and complexities of these unfortunate situations whether or not these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. Before we get started, we'd like to mention that this case contains themes of sexual abuse and sexual violence that some listeners may find triggering. While incidents such as this one are important to discuss, they can also be challenging to listen to. Above all, we want to make sure that you are all feeling safe and feeling like your well-being is taken care of. So, Asad, before we start the case, I wanted to know how has your week been going? Yeah, week was going good. Are you ready for this, Sadia? We took baby Isha camping this past weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> Why, oh, no. Why would you take a six-month-old baby camping? Like, I don't want to go camping. I said, hey, what's happening I know. Here? Yeah, we went to a little farm just kind of about a couple hours south of us in Portland. Um, and I guess you, you would consider glamping. Oh, that's not bad. Okay. Yeah, now I feel better. <laughs> we had a little yeah. yurt outside that we had rented. And yeah, it was really great. It was really special to take her camping for the first time at six months. It was really more of a test for us whether or not we could we could survive. <laughs> um, and we did. <laughs> and, you know, we're trying to determine whether, you know, if, if we want to do some, some of this stuff more in the future and whether or not we want to get a trailer or, or things like that. But yeah, it was really nice to be on a farm in the middle of nowhere. I disconnected the phone for a couple days, which... I think put me through severe withdrawal. <laughs> uh, oh, really? Yes, are you addicted to your phone? I am. I am, and I justify it under this assumption that I have to because <laughs> I'm a content creator and I, I have to check things every five seconds. Nice. Uh, no, I don't have to. I don't. How was your week? My week was good, but before I talk about my week, I saw pictures of. Isha oh. 
on your Instagram. And oh my gosh, Asad, she is so adorable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, luckily oh she my looks, gosh. looks more like her mom than she does me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's pretty special and we love we love her so much. And she was smiling. She yeah, was happy. Totally. Yeah. And she we got her her first kind of real laugh yesterday out of her. You know, they smile for a while and, you know, laughs come eventually, which was just really special. Um, you know, I hope that she gets a good sense of humor. And yeah, totally. So how was your week? I had an interesting week. So people who listen to Invisible Hate regularly know that my husband was in an accident, oh, yeah. motorcycle accident. And then we had to ship the motorcycle from Virginia. So my husband reached out to quite a few shipping companies in order for him to ship the motorcycle. And he spoke to this guy. Now, I don't know who this person was. My husband got his number from I don't know where. This all seems really sketchy. <laughs> it is sketchy. So he asks Vakas, my husband, to transfer 500 bucks. Oh, man. To his Venmo account. And Vakas being Vakas, and I think he was concussed as well. So he wasn't really thinking. He does that. And then this guy disappears. Oh, As wow. literally disappears, oh, right? And Vakas is trying to call him and this guy is not responding and we are freaking out. And in the end, he had to go with another shipping Oh, company. my goodness. He had to pay three times the amount that this guy promised. Wow. But then we disputed the charge. I called my bank and I was like, OK, we want to dispute this charge. And guess what? Somebody from the bank called me yesterday and they were like, oh, yeah, we are looking into it. But it seems like this Venmo account, whatever it is, it's associated with some spiritual medium. And she says that you hired. Her. Whoa, this is amazing. Like, what? I love this story. Was a Nigerian prince involved as well? I don't know, Asad. <laughs> and I was so pissed. I was like, I've never been to a medium. I don't <laughs> do this. This is so wrong. And they were like, yeah, but you have to give us more evidence of what happened. And now I have to ask Vakas to submit whatever evidence he has. This is amazing. Um, other than just a phone number. Wow, I love it so much. What a story. What a story. But I am curious if there are any listeners out there who are motorcycle enthusiasts and if they've ever faced any kind of sketchy response or behavior from shipping companies would love to hear their thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or if you ever talk to a medium, I'd love to know your experience as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. So Amazing. should we get into the case, Asit? Yeah, let's get started after all that. Thanks. It's May 27, 2003. An individual by the name of Jatin Patel arrives in Vancouver, Canada after having been deported from the United States. Patel has just spent several years in American jail for offenses committed in the US. This is the second time she's been deported back to Canada. Patel is about five foot two inches with short black hair, brown eyes, and a medium build, she is of South Asian descent, described as Indo-Canadian. At the time, Patel both identified and presented as a biological male, but has since come out as a transgender woman. So we'll be using she, her pronouns when describing her. Noted. After being deported, 
Patel books into a travel lodge motel in North Vancouver. She immediately sets out to hire a prostitute. She soon makes arrangements with female sex trade worker Shelby Tracy Tom. The two strike a deal, 400 for Tom's services. They make their way to Patel's motel room at the Travel Lodge Motel where they begin their sexual relations. However, it's not long before Patel notices scarring on Tom's body, indicative of gender confirmation surgery. I said this is a bit confusing to me. How does Patel know what gender confirmation surgery looks like or what the scarring looks like? Maybe she saw the scars and then made assumptions, I'm guessing. Yeah, you're right. Anyways, realizing that Tom is transgender, Patel becomes instantly enraged and violently lashes out at the woman. Patel strikes Tom forcefully in the throat, breaking her esophagus and choking her. Tom lays across the bed, gasping for air as she attempts to fight off her assailant. But it's too late. The damage has been done and Tom's body stills as her labored breathing comes to a stop. And then, silence. Well, wow, this is just awful, Sadia, and just really kind of out of nowhere. It kind of goes from zero to a hundred in, you know, in no time. And violence that leads to Tom, you know, being seriously hurt. It's it's really sad. So what happens next? You're absolutely right, Asad. Another innocent life lost. Now, Patel stands looming over Tom's naked body, anger coursing through her veins. She picks up the body and places it in a closet hidden by linen and clothing. And then, as if nothing had happened, she leaves to find another sexual partner. Asad, isn't that unbelievable? unbelievable. Yeah, right. Wow. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's like, okay, so I murdered somebody and now I'm going to go and find someone else. Yeah, unbelievable. Anyways, in the lobby, Patel pays a woman $100 for drugs. The two then go back to her room to have sex. Now keep in mind that the victim's body is still in the room. Oh, it's the same room. Yes. Oh, wow. Also, Sadia. $500 that she's already spent in like a couple hours. This is as much as your husband, you know, paid someone for medium. I mean, this is unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for the shipping company. For the shipping company. Yeah, no, it's just just joking around. (laughs) No, that's crazy. To bring someone back to the same room where the victim's body is. Wow, that's that's really shocking. Yeah. You know what, Asit? What's shocking to me is how ordinary people can commit such heinous evil acts. That's what shocks me. Anyways, while in Patel's room, the woman discovers the body and Patel is forced to explain herself. Thankfully, the woman discourages Patel from dismembering the body and disposing of it in the ocean. So I don't know how this conversation must have come about, but I'm assuming that Patel must have shared her plans to dismember the body. And then the woman was probably like, oh, shit, don't do that. Yeah, what a what a fascinating conversation. So you find the body. If I found a body in any room, I'd be freaking out. Right. And then. Yeah. And it seems like Patel is completely like nonchalant about it. Right. 
Now, the way she stops Patel from dismembering the body is by claiming that doing so would only further distress the victim's family. Somehow, despite her status as a witness, Patel lets the woman leave unharmed. Unbelievable. And this to me is again shocking. Yeah, very shocking. A person commits murder, hides the body in linen closet and then brings another sex worker they discover the body and then she lets them go let's the other person go yeah right for sure it, it doesn't make any sense but uh, you know i'm trying to get into the mind of a murderer but yeah it, this is wild so according to a news source it is believed that the woman then goes immediately to the police to report what she's seen thank god yeah, for right, that for sure Alone in the motel room, Patel must now decide what to do with Tom's body. For several days, she does nothing, leaving the body hidden in the Whoa. closet. Then about three days later, she wraps the body in plastic bags and a mattress topper and disposes of it. So around 7 a.m. on May 31st, 2003, Tom's wrapped body is discovered inside a shopping cart behind a store near the motel. This is just a wild story, Sadia. So just going back a little bit, you're saying the second sex worker who left went to the police and reported what she saw. But we're assuming the police didn't do anything because the body was still there for three days. It's crazy. And then for her to wrap up the body then just leave it in a shopping cart behind a store near a motel. You know, it's it's so shocking. It is shocking. I said, I have more questions than answers. And I wonder what police were thinking at the time. Right. And why did they not respond or react for three days, right? For sure. So she just leaves her there behind the motel in the shopping cart for some unlucky person to find. Did people actually find it? Like, how did people react to, to this crime? So, the body was found, as said, many people were upset by the murder. For some, Tom's death further fueled the fight against discrimination and violence faced by many transgender individuals. According to an independent British Columbian news source, The Thai, advocates of transgender rights attempted to amend Canada's Human Rights Act and Criminal Code to explicitly protect the rights of transgender and transsexual people. Two bills were proposed in Canadian Parliament, Bill C-276 and Bill C-279. Both pieces of legislation sought to ensure that crimes committed against transgender individuals because of their gender identity would be treated as hate crimes. Mm, that's great. But I said, sadly, neither bill passed. Oh, wow. Well, you, you know, I'm just thinking back, Sally, this is 2003. And, you know, at least in the States, this would have been seen as pretty progressive at the time, right? Like now I feel like we're seeing actually a lot of laws on both sides in the States. But I'm actually more surprised that there were these pieces of legislation that were brought to the floor. I'm not surprised that they didn't pass at the time, but really interesting. So so what happened next? However, in June of 2017, 
Canadian Senators passed Bill C-16. This law very explicitly prohibits discrimination against transgender Canadians, protecting them against hate crimes. Oh, that's great. The bill accomplished this by adding the words gender identity or expression to three places. The Canadian Human Rights Act, a section of the criminal code that targets hate speech, and a section of the criminal code dealing with sentences for hate crimes, which is incredible, Asad. So there was some progress, although the initial two bills did not pass, but something positive happened. Yeah, it seems like, you know, yeah, it took them 15 years to do it, but it seems like this is the right move and great for the transgender community and for Canadians in general that these protections exist. Sadia, let's take a quick break and when we get back, let's discuss the victim and the perpetrator a little bit more in depth. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News & World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Sadia, we left off uh, wanting to talk about the perpetrator and the victim. So, Shelby Tracy Tom, she was relatively young when she suffered this death, uh, was she not? Yes, Asad, you're absolutely right. Sadly, Shelby Tracy Tom was just 40 years old when she was killed by Jatin Patel. And it sounds like she had a lot of life left to live. According to the Thai, Tom had graduated from Simon Fraser University with a history degree the same year that she died. She sought to become a social worker in order to help other transgender people like herself. Tom worked hard and took pride in her hard-earned possessions, her condo on Beach Avenue and her beloved Mercedes. Amazing. Friends described her as generous with her money and kind with children. According to the Vancouver Sun, friends called Tom beautiful and sensational. Friends and family held a candlelight vigil for Tom on Thursday, June 12, 2003, honoring her memory. Yeah, sadly, she sounds like a really cool person and really interesting person. Sad that, you know, she's no longer with us. So tell me more about Jethan Patel and why she would do such a thing. So according to a Canadian newspaper, Patel was born in Toronto in 1974. Her family eventually moved to Statesboro, Georgia, where they started a business buying, fixing, selling and running motels. Sadly, when Patel was 10 years old, her father was shot dead by an employee oh over a money dispute. Yeah, that is probably quite traumatic, Asad. Yeah, 10 years old for your father to be shot dead. That's, wow, wild. So Patel first began running into trouble with the law when she started forging checks from both motel guests and her mother. She was incarcerated for such acts in 12th grade. According to a news source, 
two and a half years into her five-year sentence, Patel unsuccessfully attempted to escape from jail. So a lot of things were happening in Patel's life, Asad. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to be going through at, at such a young age. Exactly. As a result, she was sentenced to five additional years oh, in prison. Oh, no. After serving another two and a half years in America, she was deported back to Canada. So basically, Patel's family originally immigrated to Canada and then they moved from Canada to the U.S. Just to clarify for our listeners, Patel soon lied her way back into the U.S. However, this didn't last very long. Patel was soon discovered and charged under U.S. immigration laws. For this, she was sentenced to five years in U.S. prison. Asit, at this point, I have lost track of how many prison sentences Patel got. Yeah, it seems like quite a bit at such a young age too, right? I think that basically all the troubles, it seems, started when her father died when she was 10, right? And then a couple of years later, she gets in trouble with the law. She gets sentenced to five years in jail and then another five years for trying to escape jail. And now it seems like a third time she was charged for violating immigration laws. So in total, it looks like she's was given, you know, between 10 and 15 years of prison time. So, Sadia, this, I guess, third sentence of five years, what happens after that? So on May 27th, 2003, Patel was deported back to Canada for a second time. Sadly, this is when she committed her heinous crime. Mm, so, yeah. So, yeah, she's been dealing with running into problems with the law for quite some time then. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, she had been Asad. But murder is a huge step from forgery or illegal immigration. So she took it to the next yeah, level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really. totally. For your earlier question, Asad, as to why Patil would commit such heinous crime, it's hard to say, right? Given that Patel herself later came out as transgender, it's possible that Tom's status as a transgender woman hit too close to home for Patel, mm. causing her to project her own insecurities regarding her identity onto Tom. But honestly, I said it's extremely difficult for you or I to make a judgment. We don't know what Patel was thinking at the time, what headspace Patel was in 2003 100%. versus when she came out as transgender. For sure. You know, perhaps she was just a hateful person who carries prejudiced discriminatory views yeah, right i think that's exactly right yeah we just don't know without any more information for sure so sadly was patel arrested for her crime what happened after tom's body was discovered i said thankfully patel was in fact arrested for her crime according to the vancouver sun following the discovery of tom's body the RCMP Integrated Homicide Team and North Vancouver RCMP began an extensive investigation. According to another news source, police were able to identify Patel using the logo on the motel mattress topper covering Tom's body. Wow. Which is a bit weird to me and I am confused as to how they were able to establish that connection, but they did. Though not explicitly stated, it is also very possible that the woman who had discovered Tom's body in the closet that very night contributed more to the investigation mm, than we know. Great. 
On Wednesday, June 4th, 2003, Jatin Patel was arrested and taken into custody. Yeah. So, you know, I think sadly, you know, probably they found the body. Police found the body. They saw that there was a mattress topper. And if it was right behind the motel, they probably were able to determine, go back into the motel to see which mattress was missing a mattress topper. Right. And then you just kind of you find that that room and then you find who uh, booked that room the night before, or you know, in the past couple couple nights. And then I think you, that's how they probably were able to connect Patel to the murder. All good news. Sadia, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, let's discuss uh, Patel's trial. This is Invisible Hate. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Sadia, tell us about Jatin Patel's trial. So, Jatin Patel's trial took place in British Columbia Supreme Court in 2005. One of the primary issues at hand was whether or not Patel's actions would be charged as a hate crime. Mm. Patel and her defense team essentially used what is known as the gay panic defense. And I said, you and I have talked about this a number of times on this podcast. Um, Do you want to tell our listeners what that is? So, Sadia, the gay panic defense, it's basically in these types of assault and murder cases, defendants often use this response to reduce their sentences by claiming that they kind of panicked after discovering the victim's gender identity or sexual orientation. It's kind of this like weird, horrible, uh, stereotypical thing that happens in these cases. And it's really ridiculous. Exactly, Asad. Unfortunately, Patel's argument was successful and Justice Patrick Dom ruled against a hate crime designation. He claimed that Patel had merely panicked from being provoked. Unbelievable. I never thought that that would work work in this day and age. I guess maybe 20 years ago it did. Yeah, right. Even worse, Patel was able to plea bargain a murder charge down to a manslaughter conviction. And in April of 2005, she was officially sentenced to just nine years in jail. Wow. Her sentence was then reduced to about four years after receiving credit for time served. Unbelievable. She was then transferred to a halfway house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you want to share what a halfway house is for those that don't know? Absolutely. A halfway house is essentially a transitional residential facility where people leaving prison or jail are required to live for a period of time before being fully released back into society. However, there are certain guidelines that one must follow while living in a halfway house. Unfortunately, Asit Patel breached several of the conditions of her release, including breaking curfew, entering areas known for prostitution, and a potential robbery attempt. So Patel is basically a mess, Asit, at this point. Yeah, sure. As a result, she was reapprehended and her sentence was extended. But by 2015, Patel was back on the streets, having finally finished her sentence. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for Patel to revert to her old ways. In January of 2015, she lured a 13-year-old victim and her 13-year-old friend to a motel in Surrey, where she provided the girls with crystal meth before sexually Mm. assaulting them. Oh, horrible. 
In February, she then inappropriately touched a 13-year-old girl shopping with her mother in Surrey Safeway store. But I said, guess what? What? Patel didn't stop there. In March, she once again lowered the pair of 13-year-old girls to her drug recovery house where she assaulted them once This more. is just really disgusting, Savia, and so sad that so many times she was convicted of doing things and then let back out onto the streets where she, again, you know, took advantage and assaulted and criminalized people. So for all of these crimes that you just described, was she arrested and charged? Yes, thankfully she was. On April 1st, 2016, a British Columbia Supreme Court jury found Patel guilty on two counts of sexual assault and two counts of sexually touching children under age of 16. Mm. In the decision, Justice Kenneth Paul designated Patel as a dangerous offender. Oh, interesting. What does that mean, Sadi, a dangerous offender? Good question, Asad. So according to CBC News in Canada... The designation of dangerous offender is reserved for the most violent criminals and sexual predators. The designation carries an automatic sentence of imprisonment for an indeterminate period with no, and I mean no possibility of parole for at least seven years, which is good. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, this person... Patel definitely is a dangerous offender, in my opinion, based on this definition. And so, yeah, so basically this is a life sentence for Patel. Essentially, yes. But unfortunately, in 2020, Patel successfully appealed the designation with the Court of Appeal for British Columbia, setting the sentence aside. It's so bizarre to me, Asad, that every time she appeals or something happens which just propels the judge or somebody in judiciary to set her sentence aside. For context, this was right around the time that Patel came out as a transgender mm. woman. As a result of the appeal, Patel now has been released from jail to live in a community residential facility but once again, she has to abide by numerous conditions. This includes being prohibited from possessing alcohol or drugs, being in the presence of any female under 18 unless accompanied, entering parks, daycares, schools, pools or recreational centers unless accompanied and many other restrictions. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So on March 23rd, 2022, Patel's long-term supervision order was extended by the Parole Board of Canada due to a continued risk of reoffending. So they are basically keeping Patel in jail because they are worried that Patel would cause some harm or commit some kind of a crime. Yeah, and I, and I love that they're doing this. I just wish that they had done this a lot sooner, you know. And uh, You're right. You know, it just seems like Patel was given a lot of chances both here, you know, in the States and when she got back to Canada and uh, just continued to, you know, reoffend after she came back out. And so, you know, it's sad that it, it's taken so long for the Canadian government to get to this point where they're basically trying to ensure that she doesn't victimize more people. But this should have happened a long time ago. You're right, Asit, but I also think that jails are not the right environment for rehabilitation and there has to be some alternate 
places or spaces where criminals can be rehabilitated, which is quite evident from this case, yeah, right? We've seen Patel go to jail so many times. Has that made any difference? Yeah. No. I think you're right. Yeah. So, Sally, with that, should we get to our primary question of the hour? Should this killing be considered a hate crime? I said this is a tough one. Yeah. Because on the surface, it may seem as a hate crime and a lot of people may be thinking that the crime does not appear to have been pre-planned or pre-targeted. Patel probably had no intention of harming Tom until she discovered that Tom was transgender. It was this particular fact regarding Tom's identity as a transgender woman that caused Patel to become so enraged and violently attack her. However, Patel's defense team presented gay panic defense, arguing that she had merely panicked after discovering Tom's gender identity, right? And this was a response, a panic response and not an act of hate. But to me, that panic response is a manifestation of a hate crime. The defense is essentially arguing that, yeah, when Patel found out that Tom was trans, that she reacted in a certain way, and (laughs) that led to her death. And for me, that is an act of hate, right? I think it's interesting, before that was brought up, Sadia, um, by the defense, or, you know, as you were talking, I think I wouldn't have argued that it was a hate crime, but because they are using the quote-unquote gay panic defense argument, I think that for me, that that makes me feel like it was a hate crime. Exactly, Asad. I totally agree. You know, but what's tricky to me is that Patel herself now identifies right. as a transgender woman. We've seen this before too, yeah. And we have seen this before. So how do we classify an act by a perpetrator who is part of the same marginalized or minority group committing an, a violent act against person from the same minority group. It's always tricky for me, Asad, because it seems like Patel may be dealing with a lot of trauma, shame associated with emotions or feelings or how she approached her gender identity at the time or the struggle that she was facing. Correct. Yeah, but, I, you know, I think that Patel can't have it both ways, right? Like, she can't be claiming that at the time, you know, she was struggling with her own identity, but then also had the gay panic, you know, defense, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, you know, no, that's so, a great right, point. Like, You're right. Yeah, I feel like you can't have it both ways. But, you know, I, I yeah, I recognize that that for a lot of people, a lot of trans people, that journey of self-discovery is, is really tough and can be really tough. And, yeah, so, yeah, you know, I, I definitely sympathize with what she had gone through or is going through or went through. But, you know, time and time again, I think she was given chances to be a better person and just failed. You're absolutely right. Asad, it makes a lot more sense to me now. So where is Jatin Patel today? So it's unclear where Jatin Patel is today. Now, as I mentioned earlier, on March 23rd, 2022, the Parole Board of Canada prolonged Patel's long-term supervision order for another year due to the risk that she continues to pose. However, it's now been over a year since this ruling and we are uncertain as to whether 
Patel remains in a supervised community facility or if she's been fully mm. released from all supervision. Yeah, you know, sadly, unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. Transgender individuals continue to experience discrimination and violence every year. According to data collected by Statistics Canada, transgender Canadians are more likely to have experienced violence as well as unwanted behaviors in public, online, and at work compared to cisgender Canadians. And then also, Sadia, according to the Human Rights Campaign, at least 15 transgender individuals in the U.S. have lost their lives to inhumane acts of violence in 2023 alone. Even worse, according to Forbes magazine, 375 transgender people across the globe were killed in 2021, and at least 320 were killed in 2022. I said this is so heartbreaking and it further highlights how incredibly important it is to continue to have these conversations conversations that you and i are having on invisible hate conversations that other people are having and shed light on the experiences of marginalized communities including transgender individuals and i said here's how listeners can help So basically, to support the protection and advancement of transgender and transsexual rights, listeners can donate to non-profit organizations such as the Transgender Law Center, the National Center for Transgender Equality, and many more. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. That would mean a lot to us. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaleon Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Emmanuel Monahan, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back, Sadia, next week for another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.